So now we have the opportunity to come back into our time in Genesis. We have made it through chapter 1, and now we get into Genesis chapter 2. I hope that you have had a great week and that you are excited to start this new week that we are going into as we worship together this Lord's Day. And this morning, starting from creation's example and developing as God has revealed himself to the church, I want us to see how we have been blessed through all times as human beings with both a task and a purpose, as well as a day that we call a day of rest. When we speak of a day of rest, the more common word in the Christian circles is a day of Sabbath, coming out of the Hebrew for Shabbat, which means to rest. And for those of you who are aware of a little bit of church history, there is a whole kettle of fish as far as what Sabbath entails. Um, the fully-orbed understanding of the biblical Sabbath is, is the Sabbath still binding for believers or not? Is it meant to be on Saturday or is it meant to be on Sunday? Does it matter? Uh, what can we do? What can't we do on the Sabbath day? And Lord willing, we will engage that someday, but today is not that day. Because as we start in Genesis chapter 2, we get the seventh day where God rests. And this is a precursor to what we hear about the Sabbath throughout Scripture. But it is not the fullness of that. And one day when we get to the fullness of that, we will deal with some more of these issues as far as what the Sabbath looks like and means. But we're going to zoom out a little bit further today, remembering that Genesis holds a lot of these embryonic versions and pieces of what are going to be developed later in Scripture. So we're going to zoom out and look at some of those items. And I want to look at three, three questions as we go into this today. First, where, where do we get this idea that we have in the church of a day of rest? Where does it come from? And second, do we need a day of rest still today? And if so, what are we resting from? And finally, and we'll keep this very general, but how can we use our day of rest? What can, what can we be using it for or towards, or can we use it however we please? I am putting the cart before the horse a little bit here, so I would encourage us to get our fingers in Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first 15 verses. Um, but before we get into Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 15, I'd ask that you would join with me in prayer. O oh Lord, our God, we humble ourselves before your word. We know that your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we cannot know you unless you reveal yourself to us. We cannot know your truth unless you reveal it to us. So Lord, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would make clear to us the truth of your word, that you would apply it to our hearts, that we might 
not just take it in as information, but that we might be changed by it, that we might chew on it, we might see it applied in our lives, that we might grow in our likeness to your Son, Jesus, because of what we hear these thousands of years before Jesus ever walked the earth as we talk about the first days of creation, Lord. Lord, help us to see you and to bring you all honor and glory and praise because of how you have revealed yourself to us in these 15 verses of Genesis chapter 2. Lord, speak to us clearly. Give us hearts and minds that are focused and alert and ready to hear and to process your truth. And Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us that we might know you that we are not left to fumble and to search for you, but that you have revealed yourself clearly in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1 and running to verse 15. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed, out, flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good and Delium and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is God's word. In answer to our first question, where does the idea of this day of rest come from? I could very easily point to the first three verses of chapter 2 and call it done. At the end of God's creative work, God rested from his work of creation and he blessed the seventh day and he called it holy. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we're told to be imitators of God as beloved children. So, that's our sermon, done and dusted. God rested on the seventh day. God worked, and then he rested. 
So we should work and then rest. Done, let's go have lunch. But seriously, this passage right here, as well as kind of bringing in the rest of the creation narrative in chapter 1, in its unrefined form is the grounds of our seven-day work week. Our concept of a Sabbath or a day of rest. And as Genesis tends to do, each one of these passages become foundational. That's why we have the picture of the foundation as the picture going along with this series is every single one of these form groundwork for why we do what we do, why we are the way that we are, who we are, what we are called to be as Christians. And here in chapter 2, we have a lot of foundational stuff. In those first three verses, thus the heaven and the earth were finished and all the host of them And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. If our eyes are peeled as we read this account, we find God laying down a pattern that he would then reinforce throughout all the rest of creation. This concept that we have today of a day of rest is not simply a good idea. We are all aware that we can't work 24-7 and that eventually we're going to have to rest. So likely we're going to implement a day of rest somewhere. This is not just a practical thing of, okay, you have to rest sometime, so we may as well just set aside a day for it. It's not just a good idea. It's not something that someone came up with so you'd have a day to do the rest of the work around the house that you've neglected while you've been away working and doing other things as you worked outside the house so you have a a day off to get back and do the painting or the lawn mowing that you had neglected throughout the other six days. And it's not a biological necessity. Or not mainly about biological necessity. If we are to order our lives based upon the imitation of God, imitation of what He has done, then we can't view this day of rest as simply being about recuperation from our labors. God didn't need rest. He didn't expend so much energy in days 1 to 6 that on day 7 He needed to recuperate. In verse 31 of chapter 1, we read, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and morning on the sixth day. And chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. God didn't rest because he ran out of steam. God didn't stop his creative work because, okay, now I need to take a day off, rest and recuperate. God did the work he set out to do. He had created And when he finished creating, he rested. Dr. Kenneth Matthews, a retired divinity professor and commentator on Genesis, he put it this way, connecting God's rest to us, his people. God and his creatures share in the celebration of the good creation. And God's people are enjoined to enter into the rhythm of work and joyful rest. 
Embracing God's Sabbath rest meant experiencing the sense of completeness and well-being God had accomplished at creation on behalf of all human life. Today we get to enjoy, and notice I said get to, not have to, nor that we are commanded to, although both of those are true as well, but we get to enjoy a Sabbath, a day of rest. And I know even just from knowing many of us here, that it doesn't always feel like a get-to when we come to a prescribed day of rest. We take a look at our schedules and we go, I've still got a million and one things I have to do, and now I'm being told I have to take a day off. I'd love to have a day off, but I still have too many things to do. But we get to enjoy a Sabbath, a day of rest from our weekly labors, and we get also to serve the Lord with our bodies. We get to work for Him. So we need this day of rest. Why? What are we resting from? In Jeremiah chapter 32, the prophet says in verse 17, Ah, Lord God, it is You who have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and by Your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard to You. There is no wearing God out. He needs no rest. And it is after His work in creation that our seven-day week, we have this dedicated day of rest that comes out of that. And that day of rest does serve as a day to recuperate from our labors. God knows that He has created finite beings who will need a day of rest, so there is an element of this day of rest that is based on wisdom. We know that we're going to need a day to rest. But what is it that makes this rest necessary? Remember in chapter 1, starting in verse 26, there's this command bring, brought to God's people. The creation of mankind, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And if you were to skip down to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. A rest that we need, the day of rest that God blesses us with, becomes a necessity when we are working and fulfilling what God has called us to do, which is to work. In verse 4 of our passage, we can read, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And at that verse, we have a turning point in the creation narrative. And... One of the interesting things here is that all through chapter 1, you'll remember that we have God being referred to as Elohim, simply as God. 
And that Elohim is used throughout Scripture to describe both our God and any God. It is just the word God. But here, we have a transition. God is no longer simply just called God. Because before this, he was unnamed because there was no one to call him by name. But now mankind is created and accounted for. And we have in verse 4, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. God, now in relation to his creation, particularly to his greatest creation, mankind, we have Yahweh Elohim. This creation that would know him, that was created to know him, we were created to know him, and as we were created to know him, he reveals his name. And this is what the Lord God does for his people. God reveals himself to us and he cares for us. Starting in verses 8 through to 14. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it goes on to explain that these rivers are flowing, and they surround the nations, and there are resources of gold and delium and onyx stone. The garden into which God places man and causes to spring forth with all manner of food and trees and the trees of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. It is a land that is prepared. It is a good land that was good for its purpose. And that garden is created to support life and support the life of God's greatest creation, mankind. And yet, even in this passage, we get whispers of how man would then treat God's good gift here. Remember, this book, Genesis, written by Moses, Moses is looking back and giving the Spirit-inspired account of creation. But we get these whispers from Moses. Verse 5, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So God's created mankind. There's no bush of the field. Didn't God create the vegetation in day day three? Where, Where is this no vegetation coming? Moses is writing this post fall, and he's letting his readers know what the world was like pre fall. There was no bush of the field. There were no plants of the field because there was no man who was working the fields. Where does the work of the fields come in in the account of creation? Not until chapter 3 when we hear of the fall and mankind is expelled from the garden and now by the sweat of your brow you will grow crops and you will eat. 
these bush of the fields typically was used of the thorny shrubs that would grow up all throughout the desert lands. Now the ground will produce thorns for you. And these plants of the field, these were the cultivated grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will grow and you will make bread and you will eat. So we are looking back from Moses' perspective. This is what it was like before. There was no bush of the field. There were no plants of the field because there was no need for those things. We ate from the tree that God has given us all of these beautiful fruits that are available to Adam in the garden. God caused this beautiful garden to spring forth and gave them these fruit trees. So we have these whispers of there's no bush and there's no plant in the field because those weren't even necessary. And some commentators even go further and go, well, there was also no rain because God had not yet made it to rain on the field. Maybe that brings in the account of Noah. Maybe, and this is a point of argument, whether or not it rained before the flood, but here we have whispers of what is to come. But here God forms and places man in the garden. And I do not want us to miss this. We're looking at this day of rest. God creates this garden and places Adam and mankind in it. And in verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. As we can see, we're quickly moving up towards the account of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. But it is important for us when we're looking at this creation narrative to remember this is all pre-fall stuff. And when we can see something that is going on before the fall of mankind, that this is not something that is a result of the fall. Mankind is placed in the garden to work and to keep that garden. And we need to see clearly from the pattern that God has laid down for mankind that this pattern of work and rest is how things in creation are meant to be. This pattern of work and rest is how God created things to be. No sin involved. And this is contrary to what the world so often tries to tell us today. The goal of so much of humanity is to be able to just avoid work. We idolize the rich and the powerful who have gotten to a place where they can just now let their money make money for them and they don't have to do anything. They get to go and travel. They get to go and buy the toys and ride their yachts and do whatever it might be. And we go, man, what it must be like to be able to win the lottery or have my money. Just I don't even have to work. And that's what we aspire to. We stash away retirement savings and we hoard vacation days to string together as much time as we can where we're not going to be required to work. Now, I'm not knocking retirement and saving for retirement and being wise in those things, but our goal in retirement, our goal in taking vacation days is not to just not work. Genesis chapter 2, this is God's 
perfect creation. No sin, no curse, none of that. And mankind is given work to do. They are to work and keep the garden. Chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it. And you can see, if we were to look just past our passage in verse 19 of chapter 2, that man sets to work earnestly to the work that he's given. Out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call him. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Mankind is setting about with God's help to the work that he has been applied to. Do we need a day of rest? And if so, from what? Even in a perfect creation, yes, we need a day of rest. From what? From the work that our Creator has set us about. We need that day of rest because God has ordained and modeled that pattern, and we are following His pattern. We need that day of rest because we ought to be about the work that God has set us to, working hard to accomplish His will for us. And we need that day of rest because it is a blessing both to work and to rest from the work that we have been given. Like God being able to step back from the work that we have set ourselves to and being able to see that that is good. If you take some time and maybe pull up your search engines and just look up what the Bible has to say about work. The Bible is brimming with commandments and guidelines regarding work for human beings. Proverbs 14.23, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Ephesians 4.28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we are with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. These are four of dozens of passages throughout Scripture that details human work, the work that we are called to do. And nowhere do we see this work that we are set to by God as being a bad thing. To work and work hard for the Lord is commendable and to be encouraged. We are not set to, okay, go and work and then make sure you take time off for you time. Go and work. To work and to work hard as believers is a blessing. And yes, we can work hard for the wrong things. And that needs to be corrected. Maybe we're just working hard for the dollar so we can buy a new toy. Or maybe we can work hard for our own comfort. Work in itself is a good thing. 
Just as everything else in the fall, a good gift can be twisted. But mankind was blessed to work and was given the gift of working to the glory of God. So Scripture has this multitude of instructions for God's faithful people regarding work. Do the same search looking for what the Bible has to say about rest or relaxation, and you will find a much smaller list. It's fairly sparse. And the rest that the Bible does describe as being good is not the mental checkout, laying on the couch, tune out the world, absence of responsibility type rest that often comes to mind in our world. When we think of rest, it's like, all right, I get to kick my feet up and watch the game. All right, I get to lay down and take a nap. I get to go and just putter in my garden because it's fun. Good things, sometimes. But the rest that we are given in Scripture as an antidote to the weariness and for restoration of our souls is the rest that is found in the Lord. Psalm 4.8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Matthew 11.28, come, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Exodus 33.14, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. This gives us some form to what a day of rest, a Sabbath, ought to look like. I will admit, I am as much a fan and probably too much of a fan of getting a moment to mentally and physically check out as the next person. I have five children. I work a job that is seven days a week. I volunteer and do stuff out in the community, and I love when I finally get a chance to just kick my feet up and watch the Oilers lose. But... <laughs> I love getting a chance to rest. But the rest that I am so easily drawn to is likely not the kind of rest that I ought to be drawn to. There is redeeming qualities in watching hockey or taking a nap or puttering in your garden. But even that needs to be done not mentally checking out and tuning out, but tuning our minds in even further and going, even this, this seemingly mundane thing, how can I glorify God even in this? And it's probably harder for us to worship God in our rest than it is for us to worship Him in our work. But if we... Take, for instance, our Sundays. If we see them being meant by God as a day of rest for us, a Sabbath, then in our rest, whether, whether it's Sunday or any other time where we're trying to take restorative rest for our spirits, we shouldn't be seeking that rest primarily at the bottom of our satellite TVs or our streaming services or video games or sports or news programs or mindlessly tuning out and puttering and doing whatever it is that we love to do. We need to be making a concerted effort, even in our rest, to glorify God. Even in our rest, we need to be working because we were created 
for a purpose, and that purpose doesn't stop just because we're tired. We get to rest, and many of you will have heard, I'll rest when I'm dead. Yeah, you will if you are in Christ. Before we close this morning, I want to challenge us with two questions. As we head in either to our Sunday school times, and in Sunday school we can work through some of these questions, or if we are just going into the rest of our day and beginning our week, I have two questions, one regarding work and one regarding rest. First, even in our fallen world, with all the thorns and struggles that so often attend our work, do you see the fact that you have to work and you get to work as a blessing? Or maybe as a follow-up question, can you identify the ways in which your work, whatever it may be, or whether it's your paid work or unpaid work, professional or otherwise, do you take the time to really flesh out how that work can be done to the glory of God? Ultimately, as believers, the only rest that we are promised is the rest that is found in the arms of our Lord Jesus. And we might get slivers of that throughout the days and the weeks, but our only true rest is when we get to be with Him. In Hebrews 4, we get one of the warnings from Hebrews And it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering the rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And I'll take a couple other snippets from Hebrews 4 here. God rested on the seventh day from all His work. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His work, as God did from His Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. When God rested on the seventh day, He did so because He had completed the work that He was set to doing. He had decided to create, and on the seventh day, that creation was complete and He rested. And if we have confessed Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, if we believe everything that this book says about Christ to be true, then we do have an eternal rest waiting for us. And in the meantime, we may have restful moments, but we will be largely called to work and work hard for the glory of God. And I know knowing our congregation, that we have people who are capable of working hard for a long period of time knowing that rest is coming. There are plenty of people here who work much longer than the typical five days on, two days off, nine to five type job. There are people I have known who've worked 15, 20, 30 days up at camp, knowing that somewhere at the end of that, there is a rest waiting. And they're willing to go, you know what, I'm going to work like a dog, and then when this shift is over, then I can get some rest. And looking at us here, looking at our relationship with Christ, 
you might have to work like a dog every day for your entire life. But that pales in comparison to the eternity of rest that waits in the arms of our Lord Jesus if we are faithful to work for him while we are here. Because we are told that if we love him, we will obey his commandments. And to obey his commandments does not come naturally. It requires work. What a blessing it is that we do have a true and sure rest awaiting us if we have confessed Christ as our Lord and Savior. My second question regarding our rest. Outside of this right here, the Sunday morning worship service, how many, and this question is going to me in the mirror as much as to each one of you, how many of what we view as restful moments in our life, if we really think about it, how many of them have anything in our minds to do with God or the things of God? How much of your restful time has anything to do with your Savior? Are we resting in God's Word? Are we resting in constructive time spent with fellow believers? Are we actively and intentionally seeking to glorify God even in our recreation, the fun things, the things that maybe don't have an obvious spiritual component? Or are we just kind of hoping that somehow our rest manages to glorify God and just kind of hoping that it'll passively seep in there? It won't. Our world tends naturally toward chaos. That's the law of physics. And that same thing goes for our rest. Our rest will not naturally tend towards the glory of God. Our rest will naturally tend towards falling away from God. So our rest needs to still be worked upon to glorify God. So as we prepare to head into Sunday school or head home for Sunday afternoon lunches, I'd encourage you to find a way this morning and this afternoon and this evening to intentionally glorify God in your Sunday afternoon Sabbath rest. This right here, the two hours or so that we might have on a Sunday morning, should not be the only time that you spend restfully growing in your faith in Christ resting in the good promises of his word. So, as we go home today, worship together. Read God's word together with your family. Take some extra time in prayer for your church or for the church of around the world. Pray for your family. Pray for world events. Maybe even try to find or get a hold of one of your fellow believers, one of the people from the church. Give them a text, give them a call, encourage them, set up a time for coffee. Because we are a family, and as a family we ought to be spending both time of work and of rest together. And in whatever work or rest that God sets you to this week, 
work knowing that God has given you productive work to do not for your own glory, not for the dollar that you make, not for any other thing other than for His glory. So if you are retired, you have been given work to do as a retiree for God's glory. If you're a mechanic, you have been given work to do not just so you can get greasy and make some money and provide for your family, but you've been given that work to do for God's glory. If you work a white-collar job and you've got paperwork galore waiting for you, that paperwork is given to you to do for God's glory, not just so you can hand it up the chain. So as we go from here, know that the work that you have been given is a blessing because it can be done for the glory of God, which is your purpose. And know that you might be given moments of rest, but you do have an eternal rest waiting for you. And that rest only exists because our God has demonstrated it for us on day seven of creation. Because He has commanded us to follow that example by taking time to rest in Him. And because our Savior has paid for that rest with His own blood. And without the Savior, without Jesus Christ, there is no rest. And may we rest totally and wholly upon Jesus. May we take our restful time and turn it to His glory because we have a greater rest that is still coming. Let's pray. O oh Lord, what a blessing it is that we can both work to Your glory and rest to Your glory. You worked to create. And we live and exist in the world that came out of that. We came out of your work to create. So how can we do anything but glorify you for the work that you have done? May we glorify you that you have created and you have worked and may we follow that example as, your, as bearers of Your image to work hard for Your glory. And as we have been given this pattern of a day of rest, may we also rest to Your glory. We thank You that You have provided for us in this way. You have given us days of rest. You have commanded us not to neglect to meet together that we could rest and recharge and recuperate, not so we can just tune out, but that we can be refreshed and renewed and prepared for the work that we are going into, that we may do it all the better. Not for our own glory, but for Yours. So Lord, may we rest and may we work to Your glory. And may we find our joy and our hope and our satisfaction in You. For we know that the yoke that You put on us as believers is light. Because the greatest burden of the work that we have to do has been borne by our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we are just blessed to be able to work for your glory for the rest of our lives that we might enter into that promised eternal rest if we have confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And Lord, if there is any here who has not known Jesus as their Savior, if there's any who listen and have not known Jesus as their Savior, may they know him, may they confess him, that they too might one day rest in you. Lord, use this. Take your word in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 15, and apply it to our hearts. And may we glorify you, and may we become more like your son, Jesus. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.